Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, it is getting over. We are back with episode 199. Can you believe it? 199 episodes of this show. We're here to break down everything that happened this week in WWE and prepare you for the 2021 edition of WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview Style. Of course, that event going down this Saturday, not Sunday, on Peacock and the WWE Network internationally. Joining me today, as always, none other than vintage Chris Vanini. We will get to him in a moment. We will get to WWE in a moment. But folks, right off the top of this show, I need to let you know what we have in the bag for you this week. Okay? Big schedule. Coming up Thursday, episode 200, 200. We have a very special guest joining us for an interview on that show. We will also give you the NXT TakeOver 36 Ultimate Preview. We will talk about AEW Rampage, the debut of that from last Friday. We will talk Kenny Omega's match, or maybe I will talk Kenny Omega's match with Andrade El Idolo from AAA Mania, and we will talk AEW Dynamite. It's going to be a loaded 200th episode of this podcast on Thursday, but don't fret. We're coming right back on Friday with a WWE SummerSlam go-home podcast. We also believe a certain someone who may be known as the best in the world is going to debut Friday night on AEW Rampage. If that happens, that'll be part of the show as well. On Saturday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, we will be with you for a live preview of WWE SummerSlam on Twitter Spaces at 11 p.m. approximately that evening your WWE SummerSlam Instant Analysis Podcast. At 6.30 p.m. on Sunday, we will have an NXT TakeOver 36 live preview for you on Twitter Spaces. And yes, Sunday night, approximately 11 p.m. Eastern, your NXT TakeOver 36 Instant Analysis. That is all actually happening this week. It all starts with today's WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. So please, Do not forget to subscribe to this podcast if you're a new listener. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can listen and participate in those live Twitter Spaces shows on Saturday and Sunday. And please do not forget what the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about. It's all about Defy. That means heading on over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating, leaving a review, tell people why you love the show, why you listen to the show, and why they should listen to the show. Our goal, of course, is to be the biggest, greatest wrestling podcast in existence. And the only way we're going to get there is by growing our listenership. And you all can help us with that directly. So that's the intro. It's a long one for what's going to be a long week. I now bring in none other than vintage Chris Vanini. And Chris, I got to say, man, uh, I think we were decently pumped up on the road to WrestleMania. I would say the build to Money in the Bank. It may not have been spectacular, but WWE put together a really strong card in what wound up being an exceptionally strong pay-per-view. But heading into SummerSlam, 
I don't feel that juice. And I don't know if it's the overall negativity surrounding WWE or if it's that negativity coupled with what we got over these last two hours, uh, not two hours, two TV shows. Uh, Raw, of course, on Monday and SmackDown last Friday. Raw on Monday, Chris, had five rematches and three matches between tag team opponents that were going to fight each other later. Plus, there was another match where people who fought early in the show fought again later in the show. Damian Priest faced The Miz or John Morrison for the 12th time in his last 13 singles matches. This was a go-home show for the second biggest pay-per-view of the year, and nothing at all new happened over the three hours. Why can't we get Keith Lee versus Shelton Benjamin for 10 minutes to mix things up? This shit's not hard. Now, on Friday, I thought SmackDown was fine, right? But in totality, it was a dire picture that WWE gave us, especially compared directly to the competition that is not only AEW, but NXT as well. We got five hours of WWE TV that we're talking about on today's show. They put on 12 matches. Two of them were 11 minutes long. Seven did not reach five minutes. Seven, they basically decided not to give us a wrestling product on television. They just decided to do promos and segments. The two best matches, which by the way, would have torn down either house if given time, were Apollo Crews versus Shinsuke Nakamura, a title match, and Riddle versus AJ Styles. Neither of those exceeded 11 minutes. Don't forget, on Raw in the recent past, we'd get a 20-minute match, a 25-minute match, and we'd sing the praises of it. We're like, wow, you know what? Raw sucks from a booking standpoint, but at least they're giving us some good wrestling. There were five matches on Raw that were about three minutes or less with one under one minute. All they have to do instead of that is give us two eight-minute matches or one 16-minute match. The point I'm making here is we still have the go-home show Friday night on SmackDown. I expect that to be very storyline heavy, even though there's a couple of matches booked. But the product that they gave us to sell their second biggest pay-per-view of the year didn't sell me on their second biggest pay-per-view of the year. All right. Well, there's a lot to deal with there. You, you laid out a lot. You I had to go it for out. it. You laid it all correctly, and I, I agree with most of it. But when you talk about excitement for SummerSlam, I am really excited for like half of it. <laughs> right. And almost, right. and almost that entire half is SmackDown. I am excited for Edge Rollins. I'm excited for Roman Cena. I'm excited for Usos Mysterious. I'm excited for... Uh, that, that might be all. Uh, from, from SmackDown. But we, we say it every week that we don't know how SmackDown and Raw are the same company. I don't think that, that has ever been more evident than these past two shows. <laughs> we keep saying that, though. SmackDown was good. <laughs> SmackDown was good. I mean, it was we, good. Like you knew Rampage was coming and you wanted to know what what SmackDown would do. They gave you some really fun matches, a title change, a nice promo between Roman and Cena. It was a good show. And then that led you into Dynamite, which was also a great show. And and so you're excited about that. And then you come into Monday and nothing happened. I was I mean, you laid it all out there. I was watching. I was half watching Raw, half watching the first episode of Bachelor in Paradise, which is back. And every time I'd look at Raw, I'd be like, 
well, there's nothing here. I already like. I've already I'm, seen I'm this. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna watch Nikki Ash versus Rhea Ripley to get ready for Nikki Ash versus Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte. Oh, and then we're gonna do it a second time with a tag team match later in the show. Like, what and she and the champions doing? gonna lose twice in one night. By the way, how do yeah? How do you book that show and think there's anything here that anybody's interested in? Nothing happened on that show that made you more excited for SummerSlam. One thing happened. In, in one fact, thing happened. One, one, right, one thing. One thing. One thing. In fact, it was the opposite, where you essentially gave away again pretty much everything that's happening at SummerSlam. It was insane what that Monday Night Raw episode was. But SmackDown was good. I just, again, time and time again, I just do not understand these shows. Like the the Raw where they had Keith Lee and Karrion Cross lose on the same night, like that was just awful booking, right? This wasn't necessarily awful booking. It was boring, repetitive booking. It was, it was nothing. It was so mind-numbing to watch on Monday night where you said, hey, look, you know, the Thunderdome era, maybe it wasn't that bad because now they're back in front of live crowds and the product is worse. Like, yeah, Raw is. Raw, Raw is worse. Uh, SmackDown is different, but, it, yeah. you know, each week you can decide whether it's great, good, fair, sure. or whatever the case. But... Raw is substantially a worse product, and it was already a bad product. I don't know what they are doing. The draft can't come soon enough. The talent disparity between the two brands is drastic. There's no one on Raw that really pumps you up and gets you excited to watch that product. I'm not saying no one. I mean, obviously, the fans like Riddle. They like Drew McIntyre. But McIntyre is tired. Uh, Rhyme, not on purpose there. Um, Not intentional. He's tired. He can't challenge for the main championship as long as Bobby Lashley has it. We don't want Goldberg to win the championship. And we're just in this like never ending vortex of shit. It's not even mediocrity. I would, you know what? I would love a mediocre Raw. If Raw was mediocre where one hour was good and two hours were shit every week, I would actually take that. That's, they've worn me down to that level at this point. It's three yeah, hours of garbage. Yeah. It is. You 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 tweeted out during the shows, but but the number of times we've seen Nikki Ash fighting already the people she's going to fight at SummerSlam, the amount of times we've seen Damian Priest fight John Morrison, like like I I just I am flabbergasted that someone looks at the lineup of that show and says, "No, yeah, this is good. I think people will like this." You it, have Damian Priest feuding with Sheamus. Why is he still involved with John Morrison and The Miz? Why not have him fight Shelton Benjamin or Cedric Alexander and get a big win heading into the pay-per-view? You can have Sheamus attack him after. You can do the same promo segment. Why are you forcing John Morrison and The Miz with Damian Priest? What is it? Four months after WrestleMania where the feud should have ended? Okay, you want to extend it one more month because you want to wrap up and, and put Damian Priest over as a singles. Sure. Okay. You can go do it, do it until May, but it's August. It's mid August. And he's still fighting the same people he's been fighting since really before April, but at WrestleMania, it, it's mind numbing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And we, and, have, and, and we, we criticize her all the time we did here, but again, I, I want to reiterate though, SmackDown was good. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of good stuff happening on that show. I know we get negative a lot about WWE on here. I just want to reiterate, though, that SmackDown is really good, and we know that they can put on good shows and have good talent and can put them in a good light. That's what just makes Raw so 
baffling. I feel like we get new listeners to the show every week, and I know we do because I look at the numbers. And I'm always worried when we start off this podcast speaking so negatively about (laughs) WWE that it's going to turn people off and make them think that we don't say positive things about it. There's times where we, we get criticized for being too positive, right, about WWE and too patient, letting things play out and seeing what happens. And a lot of times, by the way, when we do that, we're right. Because things occasionally do play out well, especially on SmackDown. We're always right. But but when we start things off in a show like this, a SummerSlam Ultimate Preview, where I know people want us to talk about the SummerSlam card, it, I, I, we have to still simultaneously be honest, right, with the listener. We have to say, look, guys and girls, this isn't good, this product right now. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think SummerSlam is going to be good, because what has been true for the last, like, 14 months Yep. WWE has not missed on pay-per-view. Some have been better than others. There's been some C plus and B minus pay-per-views, but there's been numerous B, B plus, A minus, A pay-per-views that WWE has given us. So despite me not being juiced and not being energized necessarily for SummerSlam, I actually think it's going to be a good show. And we'll talk about that later when we do our SummerSlam ultimate preview. And we also will do our pre-show grades on this podcast. Now, a reminder of how this is going to work. Uh, We're going to start off this show talking about everything that's not happening on the SummerSlam card, and then we will do our SummerSlam Ultimate Preview to wrap things up, where we're going to go over everything that happened uh, in those storylines ahead of each match on SmackDown and Raw. We'll give our picks, and of course, we're going to give our pre-show grade as well. But because this is a unique episode, an Ultimate Preview episode, there's no main event this week. Instead, we're kicking things off with the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start things off with the Intercontinental Championship over on SmackDown. Apollo Crews defending the title against Shinsuke Nakamura. Rick Boogs and Commander Aziz were quickly ejected from ringside. There seemed to be a lot of excitement during the commercial because the crowd was really hot when they came back from break. Nakamura blocked a frog splash with his knees, but Cruz countered Kinshasa with a kick for a near fall. Shinsuke came back with a fireman's carry Falcon Arrow for a near fall, and then he hit Kinshasa for the clean one, two, three. There was pyro and a celebration, and the crowd went nuts for Nakamura. So this was simultaneously exciting and well-wrestled, but really strangely booked. We only got to see four minutes of the match after the commercial, and maybe six minutes of the match total. This title match wasn't announced until a couple hours before the show, and Nakamura basically became the number one contender after winning via disqualification in the champion's contender match last week, which I said to you I didn't want to happen because he won- not only did he win the match, sure, he won via DQ because Aziz just like kicked him or something like that. So from a booking standpoint, this was absolute shit. But there's no doubting the incredible response from the crowd, the exciting action of the match that we did see, and the idea of putting the title on Nakamura. All of those are obvious positives. I'm just not sure why you, number one, don't do this at SummerSlam, maybe even on the kickoff show, the go-home SmackDown this upcoming Friday, or at least give it 15 to 20 minutes so they can tear the house down, especially if there's going to be a commercial during it. There's so many ways this exact booking could have been done better. I'm going to go with good because it was a lot of fun 
and we're happy for Nakamura to be the IC champion, but it shouldn't have been this close to being bad. I, I, I'm going to give it a good, it, it, it's a lot of the annoyances that you said, like not getting to see the match, uh, all the whole match, announcing <laughs> it a few hours beforehand. My thought was when this happened, was wondering if this is a preemptive response to Rampage coming up later in the show and WWE eh. figuring figuring that they want to do something notable on their show beforehand. Maybe not. I mean, like you said, maybe, it, maybe they, they had the DQ last week. It seemed to possibly be setting up for this, but that was my thought. I was like, oh, we're getting an intercontinental title change on SmackDown. Maybe, you know, in what was a very hyped up night of wrestling. It was a, it was a thought that went through my head, but overall, uh, I, I like this because Nakamura has been doing good stuff. I like him and Boogs. Um, looking forward to, to, to where that goes. The celebration with Pat McAfee was really funny. I also thought, and I'd also realized, I feel like we haven't gotten much Apollo promo work over the last few weeks. And I, I've really liked this character he's been doing. Bob, Bobby Lashley was on uh, Stone Cold Broken Skull Sessions or whatever on Sunday. It was a really good episode. And he said he had, he originally wanted Apollo Crews to join the Hurt Business. And, and, and so I just kind of thought about Apollo's character and where he's gone. And I really like the, the Nigerian character he's doing now. Um, and I feel like I wish we have and had seen more of it. And that's really a common theme we have with SmackDown, which is, oh, man, something was good. I wish we'd gotten more of it, but they just can't fit all of it on the show. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm giving this a good. Curious to see where it goes. I just hope we don't get five more rematches between these guys, which is Often what happens. It's just like they forgot about the Intercontinental Championship. It's like he was feuding with right. Big E forever. Then they decided Big E is going to win Money in the Bank, so they can't have him feud anymore. They didn't put the title on Owens. They didn't put the title back on Zayn. Apollo so, gets pinned in a six-man tag. Yeah, and there's nothing for him to do. And they're like, well, Shinsuke's over, so let's put the title on him. And, and by the way, that's not a bad decision. Like, right. Nakamura being the IC champion is the right call. But... Why not just use last week as storyline and do the match on your go home SmackDown? You're promoting it, advertising it. Give it 15 minutes instead of 10 with a commercial break. And now everything's good. But yeah. they just, they refuse to do things. I don't even want to say the right way, the best possible way. And I know that in some ways you can say, well, Silver King, that's just your opinion that it wasn't the best possible way. But I dare you to tell me that a 10 minute match, 11 minute match, with a long commercial break during it for a title change announced a couple hours before the show with the guy becoming the number one contender via disqualification in a two minute match the week before that is the best way you can book it. I, you right. can't tell me that. There's no way. I won't accept it. All right, let's move on. Uh, Baron Corbin on SmackDown hit the ring saying he's nearly bankrupt and he asked fans for $1,000 from them each so he can continue living the lifestyle he's accustomed to living. Kevin Owens came out and tore into Corbin, saying he tried to help him a couple of weeks ago, but he's beyond saving. Owens then set a match with the stipulation that he would give Corbin a grand if he loses, or Corbin must stop begging for money if he loses. Then Owens hit a stunner on Corbin ahead of the match. We got the match. Michael Cole and Pat McAfee had some great lines about Corbin during the match. KO got back body dropped on the ring apron, but later came back with a senton bomb for a near fall. Corbin hit a choke slam and a deep six for near falls. But Owens caught him with a sunset flip pinning combination for the win. Then KO stunned him just for good measure. After the match, Corbin was dejected, but he saw Big E's Money in the Bank briefcase laying on a table. So he juked away from the interview 
ran to the table, grabbed it, and jutted out of the arena. So this was by far like the longest match on a show that included an intercontinental title change. I found that to be strange. Stealing the briefcase was a bit trite. We've seen it many times before, but it does give Biggie something to do without immediately standing off with Roman Reigns. So that's actually a positive in my eyes. I also like that Michael Cole immediately said, hey, it's not like Corbin can cash it in. What's he doing with this? So it wasn't stupid in kayfabe. Corbin stealing the briefcase does prevent Biggie from cashing it in. And maybe he's going to hold it ransom and try to get Biggie to, you know, pay him 10 grand for the briefcase or something like that so he can get the contract back. I thought this was good booking, but it was strange how much it got time-wise relatively to the rest of the show. Well, also, Kayfabe, it follows two weeks prior, Corbin trying to take the the championship match contract himself. So it it's continuity here. He's just stealing contracts left and right, apparently. Um, He's desperate. This was... Yeah, this was, look, I said when this started that this would be a great Corbin face turn and then pretty quickly made clear that that's not happening because Vince thinks poor people are funny, apparently, or something. See, I don't I don't believe that's what this is. Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. But now they are really they just made they try to make you feel bad for him. Essentially, now they are leaning into him being a heel. He asked for one hundred thousand dollars from Drew. Now he's asking every fan for a thousand dollars. Now he's actually being he's doing heelish stuff. And also shout out to Pat McAfee, who when Corbin pulls out his credit card scanner on his phone, McAfee says, how did he get a scanner if he doesn't have any money? So that, that was a nice little bit there. This was good. I'm, I'm going to give it a good. Uh, it, it's a it's a new direction. Biggie is now doing something. It's been a, it's been a month since he won Money in the Bank. And he's only been in tag team matches. So now he'll have a feud at least. And I think him and Roman, him and uh, Corbin will be good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give this uh, a good. His character reminds me of Lewis Winthorpe from Trading Places. And if you haven't seen that movie, Chris, I mean, we I, should I've stop seen it. I've seen it. I can't. I remember much of it. I've seen that movie, first of all, a hundred times. I can't. I, 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 it's, I don't know what you watch. Like, you know, I watch a seen, lot. Apparently, we don't. I mean, I. I this you is an incredible seen, you all-time seen, movie. You haven't seen any of the Star Wars and refused to yes, watch it. Yes, but that's a I specific I genre. Seen, I haven't seen a couple things either. So we just we have our own things. I guess. But that's but that's a specific genre of film that I, you know, don't care for. Trading Places is an all-time classic comedy. With Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. I mean, it's. I just have. I haven't seen. I, I not. That I haven't seen. I just. I don't have many memories of late eighties, early nineties, mid nineties. Have you seen uh, Coming to America? Comedies, yes, but because you're a little bit older than me, I assume. I don't so, think I'm that much older than you. So I, mean, I, I think there's a. Li- you're 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 more early millennial. And I think I'm more mid millennial, or you're late Gen X, or something like that. I mean, Trading Places came out before I was born, but I've still seen it a thousand times. I mean, it's 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 sure. an absolutely incredible movie for anyone who has seen it, Corbin, it's not the same character because Lewis Winthorpe, Dan, uh, Dan Aykroyd in that movie, gets screwed out of his money. Um, but Corbin, it's very similar. It's this guy who's rich, but he's really a piece of shit and no one has sympathy for him. No one's willing to help him because his entire life, he's treated people like garbage. And, and that's the gimmick that they're clearly now doing with Corbin. I do kind of wish they had gone in the face direction like we thought they might with Kevin Owens, 
uh, maybe them teaming up, get it, putting him under his wing, and then Corbin down the line could turn on him or something like that. But I also kind of like that they're leaning into, look, this guy was a piece of shit his entire WWE career. Now that he needs help, he's asking for it, and no one's really willing to help him. And those that are willing to help him, he's being greedy, and he's wanting $100,000, I think he asked mm-hmm. John Cena for, or, whatever, or Drew McIntyre, whoever it was. So I like what they're doing with Corbin, I have to say, and this was part of it. So it was indeed good. Well, um, one other thing, one other thing, again, Kevin Owens is so over. So every, over. Every appearance he makes on SmackDown, people are going bananas for him. He he needs to be in, I don't, at some point he needs to get in that title picture again because people are really, really behind him and he's not really doing anything. I, honestly, I think you got to put him on Raw. Raw needs that injection yeah. of life. Yes. You have so much talent on SmackDown. You have Biggie, you have Balor, all these guys. I would put Owens on Raw. I wouldn't think twice about it. I put him in the main event and I give him the title. Me too. You have to do something with him. All right, uh, moving on. Street Profits versus Alpha Academy. Otis got some huge spots on the Profits. Angela Dawkins ran Chad Gable into Otis. Montez Ford followed with a huge Tope Cone Hero. And Dawkins at Gable with a corkscrew neckbreaker for the win. The cameras were all over the place and missed a bunch of the finish. This was also an extremely and unnecessarily short match, which just bothers me. Otis was angry after the match. I I guess I'll say good because the action was fun, but there's no reason this didn't get five more minutes. I just have no idea why WWE rushed every single match this week. Uh, Again, with SmackDown, it's something that we really liked and want to see more of and and wish they had more time. It's just, again, you don't want a three-hour wrestling show, but I feel like SmackDown has the horses to make it happen. This was was good. I've loved what these two teams have been doing the last month really they just set it up with a behind the scenes thing and they kind of got started to hate each other more and more and these all these guys can go and it's really fun wrestling um this is definitely good and again yeah give me five more minutes give me 10 more minutes i i would love to see these guys go along i, I want so much more out of alpha academy because they're i think they're just so talented and they've hit the right note and I just want a, a breakthrough moment for them. There's just not enough time for everybody. And by the way, I'd love to see like Gable win something. Like, why mm-hmm. is Otis the only one out of them that can win anything? Allow Gable to get a couple of wins over tag team opponents and then start a feud. I don't know, man. Like, just do something with these guys. Like, a little right. bit more than what you're doing now. I, I'm just happy they're being featured frequently, which is a huge improvement for both of them. But still, like, allow Gable, this really, really talented wrestler that you have on your payroll, allow this guy to win. Okay, uh, so that was the good portion of the good, the bad, and the ugly. There may be more, um, but... All SmackDown. <laughs> yeah, that was SmackDown. So let's go to Raw. Uh, we had Jeff Hardy against Karrion Cross. Hardy in gorilla position said Cross pissed him off with the post-match attack last week after already beating him. So Cross attacked him in gorilla position. Cross then beat him in 50 seconds in the ring with the Cross jacket. And you could literally hear the crowd chanting for Hardy during the next segment, which was like a backstage interaction with like Eva Marie and Dewdrop or something like that. This was pathetic. It was ugly. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I have no idea what they're doing with Karrion Cross or what they're doing with Jeff Hardy. Yeah. I, do, do we know if the Jeff Hardy COVID thing led to a change in the story? I don't know. But they've now fought three times, twice? two or three times and nothing's happening. So it's ugly. It's nothing. It's dumb. It's in, it's in one ear out the other 50 seconds. Boom. 
do not care about this. It's literally the all. worst thing I think across both shows, and that includes Eva Marie and Lily. I think I think this is worse than that. It it is it is like per second of screen time. There's just been so little of it <laughs> that I literally I honestly keep forgetting Karen Cross is on Raw every week. It just it does a disservice to both guys. Where yeah, it's the, uh, the other storyline, it's like okay, it's not good, but we like Alexa. She seems to be over anyway. So at least it's not really doing that much of a disservice. They're to trying her. something. They're trying something. Really, there's, the only person nothing, in that who's hurt. hurt. Yeah, the only person in that who's getting kind of hurt is Dewdrop, right? There, yeah, but there's no, there's nothing here. I, there's I, I don't nothing if, here. I, there was that rumor report, whatever, that Scarlet was going to come and give him the power or something. But now he's winning, and he's right. He's winning, and he's boring. So what is he? I don't know what he is. It's been um like four or five weeks now. Who is he? What is he doing? He just says catchphrases. And I don't know what anything means. Like if Hardy was still beating him, at least you could give us that storyline. And, and yeah. You, even though it's still bad. Like he's the NXT like, champion. You could say, oh, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. Like <laughs> pe- people, people criticized, you know, were up, really upset when he lost that first match. And it was like, yeah, that's a really dumb way to, to put him. Is there going to be a story out of this? Well, no, there wasn't because Hardy wasn't gone for a few weeks and now they're back and now they're doing whatever. Literally already, all they had we, to we've do. Talked about, we've talked about it longer than it was on the show. I know. Probably, so I Literally all they had to do was wait until Karrion Cross presumably loses the title this weekend. Uh, debut him the next Monday. Have him lose three matches to Hardy if that's what you want to do. And then you bring in Scarlett. And you're all, that's it. You're done. It's fine. Yeah. He, it's, no one's he crying. Have, did he have the belt on Monday? He's had the title every single time he's appeared on Raw. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I I I didn't look closely, but then I looked when he was in the ring, and I didn't think he had it, and I may have just missed it. He just looks larger than life in NXT, and he looks like an ant on Raw, and that's against Hardy. Yeah. It's it's just yeah. so everything about it is infuriating. I don't even love the guy, but I mean, it's just so infuriating. All right, let's keep going. Mansoor versus Mace. This was a te- there was a terribly scripted interaction backstage between Mansoor and Mustafa Ali. Like it could have been from like a Disney show. Is how bad it was scripted. In the ring, Mace hit an awesome inverted suplex on Mansoor, and then Ali aided Mansoor in countering a pinning combination into another for a win with like a 619 style kick. The match went three minutes. No one got time to wrestle. No one got time to get over. This was just a total waste of time. It was bad, repetitive, just shit. I mean, it it's it's such it's clearly a low card thing and they're not putting a ton into it so i'm not expecting a lot out of it but i feel like they have kind of told a story the last couple they weeks. have yes they have and and i and i like mansoor and ali together i like that they're kind of making their gimmick that they're like really good looking or something like that um i'm uh, i'm going to give it a good just because like it wasn't it was good for what it was. Obviously, it's not the most important thing in the show. It was just it was just a little thing for a low card feud. Frankly, it was better than a lot of other things on the show. So it, I, it was, it but that's why I'm going bad and not ugly. Like I'm I'm saving it from ugly that, because it wasn't I, ugly, but it just wasn't good. Like in three minutes and no one getting over you, you can't be good. There's I, not enough I, time. I, All I you have to I, do is give it twice as much time, and I would have gone good. Yeah, that that's fair. I mean, I, I watched it and I was like. All right. That was my reaction when it ended. So I, to me, that to me, that's enough for a good on a Raw. All right. We'll stay with Raw. A couple more things before we get to the ultimate preview, which is why we're here. Uh, <laughs> Reggie was at the park with a camera so, for some reason uh, when R-Truth in camouflage and Akira Tozawa hiding in the trash can tried to attack him. Reggie just did a ton of flips, used a tree, a sandbox, got away from them. And then he did 
an absolutely insane handstand flip over a car. I don't <laughs> think he used, by the way, a trampoline. I think it was legitimately just him before driving off. This was stupid, but Reggie was so impressive that I'm going with good. Yeah, this is again, it's like a sh- the, the best stuff on Raw is like the very bottom stuff. And I've liked Reggie every week since they pretty much done it because, hey, he does some cool shit that I don't see elsewhere. So that's enough for it to be interesting. It, this is this is like kind of geared toward kids, funny type stuff and the Tozawa truth, whatever. But Reggie's cool. And yeah, it's a good it's not like a big good, but it's a little good. No, but it's good. It was it was not bad. That like, yeah. like this is a tough, this again, this is a really tough segment, right? Because we have only three options, but if it's, something's not bad, I'm going to call it good. And this was not bad. Like I was like, oh, wow. Holy crap. He did that. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. Uh, so they replayed the identical Elias vignette from last week. And at first I got angry at that, but then I realized they're doing what they are doing with Eva Marie, where they yep. show yep. the old one first, and then they give you the new one later in the show, almost as a way of like reminding you. And I got to say. I do kind of like that considering they are short, right? So the new one, he said, music doesn't didn't fail him, but it wasn't enough. And then he planted a gravestone that said Elias 2017 through 2021, again, repeating that Elias is dead. And I have to say, Chris, I am still interested in this. I wonder what they do here. Are they going to name him Samson? Are they going to give him a completely <laughs> different direction? Is it going to be a misdirect in the way they misdirected us all those years ago with Brodus Clay, where we think he's going to be this monster. And then he comes out as a dinosaur, right? I, got, I can't put anything past him. But for now, I do have to say two vignettes. I'm legitimately intrigued. I'm glad they're moving away from the character. And by the way, ever since they've started doing with this with Elias, we haven't seen Jackson Riker on television once. So all in all, this was good. Yeah, again, another like small thing. Good for what it was. We'll see what it comes of it. I still maintain that changing Elias is fine, but I feel like they really didn't need to because right when you're coming back with crowds after a year and a half is the perfect time to throw him back out there and get the crowd riled up, which he's so good at by just playing the guitar and making fun of the town. Like It's such a layup in wrestling to do that. And then they finally get back to crowds and... They don't do that with him. So if you're not going to do that with him, do something different. So but here, we'll here's, here's the argument. Here's the argument. If he's that good with a guitar and cutting a promo, he's probably just as good cutting a regular promo. Oh, yeah. He's a talented He's a talented guy. So I, I, knew, I, I went and saw a, a, an NXT house show five, six years ago and when he was the drifter. And, and he was the he got the most heat out of anybody on that house show because people legitimately hated him because because that was when like Sami Zayn was on there and stuff like that and they didn't like him and I was like this guy this guy knows what he's doing here this guy's got something so I'm not surprised that Elias worked out and so yeah you're right I'm curious to see what's next because I do think they'll come up with something good now before we get to the SummerSlam ultimate preview I did want to do a mea culpa on this show which is by the way something we basically never do because I mean I'm never wrong so I don't really know why I would need to but I tore into WWE, tore into them for splitting up Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke and ending that feud. They were right in the middle of the feud, if you remember, with Natalia and Tamina. They seemingly were going to challenge for the title. We thought they would win the titles. But it turns out Dana Brooke is pregnant. So congratulations to her. Yes. And now it makes 
total sense why what happened happened there, why they decided to split them. I still don't know why Mandy got moved to NXT when they definitely could have still used her on Raw and she's basically doing nothing in NXT so far. So that I can't explain, but I do obviously understand why they ended the storyline. I gave them a lot of shit for it. So I wanted to give them Mia Culpa. Also, in a similar situation over on NXT, the Tegan Knox and Candice LeRae feud was supposed to start after Knox made her debut at that special show. I'm forgetting which one it was. Knox then all of a sudden gets called up to SmackDown like three days later in a tag team with Shotzi Blackheart. Well, as it turns out, Candice LeRae is also pregnant. So I don't know whether that was a cause and effect or not. It may have been a timing thing. All we can do on this show is react in the moment to what we see based on booking on our television. Uh, So if that criticism also didn't really hold water because of the pregnancy, then I also take that back as well. But nevertheless, when you see those things live, where you see someone re-debut on NXT and three days later show up on SmackDown, and the person that she interfered, whose match they interfered with, um, you know, they're about to start a feud, and then all of a sudden it's over. You're like, what the hell are they doing? So I'm very happy for both of them. Congratulations. Great news. I don't know if you have anything to add, Chris, but I did want to say, you know what? When things happen that we didn't expect, you know, you got to give them a culpa. You got to say, uh, I was wrong. And especially with the Dana Brooke thing, I was wrong. I had no idea. For sure. We, we don't always know what's behind certain moves. So when stuff comes out, it's important to uh, acknowledge it. I, I would also agree that uh, they could really use Mandy Rose, I think, on the main roster. Really good. Because the, the number of cuts they've made over the last couple of weeks, there's a shortage of, of women up there. So uh, we'll see what they do. She could have been in Money in the Bank. She could have been a really fresh person to fight all these other women rather than having yep. them fight each other every week. She could have been a good number one contender once this is over, if Nikki Cross is still champion. Uh, you know, Nikki Ash. There's so many things they could have done with Mandy. I just don't understand why they moved her like that. Okay. That is it for the rest. Everything else that happened in WWE over the last week. It's time to get to our main event of today's show. Which is the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. Now, for those who may be first-time listeners, the way this works is we start with the low card. We work our way all the way down, I guess, to the main event but all the way up to the main event based on match quality, interest, all the things that we really care about. One thing, Chris, that really stands out to me about this card is that it could have used a stipulation match or two. Everything is pretty bland. Also, no members of New Day are on the card. There's no Shinsuke Nakamura or Finn Balor or Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn. It's just, and Zayn's not a face, but it's just not very strong from a baby face, work rate type of perspective. And really, I just feel like the entire build for the show has been a bit of a letdown. Oh, yeah. I I mean, again, about half of it. I I think the SmackDown build has been pretty good for for those things, and we still have the go home to go. Um, But, you know, as we talked about, last week about what NXT is possibly going to turn into and what WWE wants out of its superstars. And you look at the card, you see a lot of, I wonder if you see that kind of 
coming out here with with Goldberg, with, with Damian Priest versus Sheamus, with Jinder versus Drew. There's a lot of kind of big guy matchups in this uh, in this card. So it's I I think it's going to be a good show. I'm ex- I'm excited for again about half of these. And the other thing I'm actually curious about. We're recording this Tuesday morning. Last night, Monday night, the Raiders announced that fans would have to be vaccinated to attend Raiders games right? in order for the, the stadium to get out of the state's mask mandate. You can get out. You can get out of the mask mandate if you have everybody vaccinated. So the Raiders are doing that. As of Tuesday morning, I have not seen anything about what it means for SummerSlam, but that's also something just if you're going to to keep an eye on. Yeah, well, SummerSlam as of right now does, as you said, have the mask mandate. So I, I assume they're not changing that considering tickets have already been sold and you know we're so close to the show, it's this week. Um, I would assume it's going to be that. The other thing to note about this before we get into talking about it, and by the way, we will give our pre-show grade at the end so you, know, you guys can know what our expectation is for the pay-per-view. Uh, WWE basically reportedly promised Las Vegas that this pay-per-view is going to be over somewhere between 11 and 11.30, because right down the road, a mile and a half down the road, there's a Manny Pacquiao fight at the T-Mobile arena. So this is going to have to end relatively expeditiously, which is fine. And, you know, WWE has been ending shows quickly. They have not given us those exceptionally long shows that we were getting two years ago. But when you look at the card, there's 10 matches on this card. Yep. So that's, this, this is the this is the biggest card since I believe the second night of WrestleMania 2020 in the Performance Center, and it's the biggest card for a single pay per view since before the pandemic, I believe, for like a, a one day show. Yeah, right. But since before the pandemic, so it's a big card. My expectation is of the matches we're going to go over, one or two of them will be on the kickoff show. I mean, they could add another match and put it on the kickoff show, but. I got to think at least one, probably two of these will happen before the show itself. And honestly, there's there's a number of them that probably could. Uh, but we're going to break it down. We're going to go match by match. As I said, 10 matches. And let's start with the lowest of lows uh, on this card, which is Alexa Bliss versus Eva Murray. So on Raw, they did Alexa's Playground. First of all, I sat in stunned silence that this was actually announced for the second biggest show of the year as a match. <laughs> yes. I, I just, yeah. I, they did it and I just looked like, I cocked my head like a dog and looked at the TV <laughs> and I'm like, really? This is the match. You couldn't have figured out a women's battle royal or I don't know, Tony Storm versus Carmella. Just like throw it together, a BS match on SmackDown. Anything else would have been better than this. But anyway, Eva demanded that Dewdrop steal Lily from Bliss. Dewdrop did that. She went to the playground and stole her. She stared at the doll for 10 seconds, got a weird look on her face, and handed it back to Alexa. Then she sh- you know, came up to Eva later, and Eva noticed the doll wasn't with her. Lily wasn't with her. She screamed at Dewdrop and then slapped her in the face really hard twice. That's the build for this match. I know this isn't the segment. This is ugly. It's terrible. I don't give a fuck about it. Alexa Bliss wins, I guess. I, I, I assume Eva Marie's not going to wrestle. I assume it's going to be Alexa Bliss versus Dewdrop with Bliss winning. I don't even want to spend another second on it. It's terrible. Bliss is the winner. 
Yeah, the pick is Bliss. I, I'm wondering if Dewdrop breaks away from Eva now. Maybe she point. goes to Bliss, gets like yeah, hypnotized maybe, by maybe her. Maybe Eva, Eva tries to have Dewdrop wrestle. Dewdrop says no. Eva has to wrestle. She loses. Dewdrop does something to her, and that's that, and you're done in five minutes. I don't know. Yeah, that's about it. It is just honestly horrendous. You can f- yourself too. Speaking of, uh, we have Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal with Veer and Shanky barred from ringside. So when I was saying stipulations, I meant like a street fight or a Hell in a Cell match, not just barring someone from ringside. As far as I know, this is the only stipulation on the entire card. Again, it's just a bland card. It could use something to spice it up a little bit. Uh, On Raw, we had McIntyre versus Veer and Shanky and a handicap match, never mind that I don't think he's beaten either of them one-on-one. He beat the shit out of Shanky with a chair. I believe he got a DQ against Veer. And like, that's that's been the build to this. McIntyre hit a super impressive, gotta say, Mishinoku driver on Shanky, then a future shock DDT on Veer, and then a Claymore on Shanky for the easy win in just a couple of minutes. So these two big-ass dudes who are Jinder Mahal's muscle got beat in a two-on-one handicap match in like three minutes. Drew looked good. The other two were non-competitive, which is just idiotic. Uh, They've had zero impact so far on Raw other than, I think, attacking Drew once. Neither of them have a personality. We haven't heard them speak. McIntyre did a corny promo making believe he was shanky. There was a light chant from the crowd for him, and he promised to embarrass Jinder and do something at his expense that will live forever at SummerSlam. I have no idea what that means. He's gonna Is he going to use Angela to decapitate him? him? <laughs> like, are we going to see a stabbing on the show? Is the sword going to come into play? I'm sure it will, right? Because Jinder is, by the way, scared of the sword, despite the fact that Drew would go to jail if he used it on him, right? Uh, so <laughs> not, not, not if he puts his hand at both ends and like hits it across his back like they do with chair shots now. It's about the only way. Or like they do with uh, Triple H's sledgehammer where he puts, puts the yes, hand yes. in front of the sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah, so then he's going to stab his own hand. Angela's going to go through his hand then. So look, this is a terrible feud. It's a terrible storyline. It is not a pay-per-view quality match. Drew McIntyre wins. Again, I don't want to spend any time on this. McIntyre wins. I had so much, I had so much hope for this when it started because Drew and Jinder have such a history together and you could build off of that and, and talk about how they both got fired and they came back. They want different things. And instead, Drew is not interacting with Jinder at all, and he's just beating up his lackeys. Like, this is the complete opposite of everything else on Raw. We got rematch after rematch after rematch, and then you're doing it again on SummerSlam. We haven't seen Jinder and Drew together in a month. Like, they're barely ever in the same room together. They're just, they're ones on the stage, ones in the ring, and that's it. So, in that sense, I'm kind of curious to just see the actual match between them. But other than that, I, I don't care, and I've been really let down by this feud. By the way, they could have just done... I, I'm happy Priest is fighting Sheamus, don't get me wrong. They could have done McIntyre Sheamus for the U.S. title. And people would mm-hmm. have loved it. It would have been great. Yep, yep. I don't know why they didn't do that. It's It just... It honestly doesn't make a shred of sense. They could have done that and had Priest feud with Jinder Mahal. Over... He ruins his hot tub or, you know, his car or something. Like, <laughs> I'm, but that's a lower card oh, feud yeah. or a lower mid card feud, right? Drew McIntyre, this is so beneath him. The only positive about this is he's no longer doing the story time bullshit. It's literally the only positive that I can take away from it. Okay, uh, the United States Championship. We might as well talk about that since I mentioned it. Sheamus defending against Damian Priest. So on Raw, we started with 
Moist TV with The Miz. Now, okay. No, with John Morrison. No, with The Miz as the guest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they literally repackaged Miz TV with John Morrison as host. I will say that I like that only because Morrison is legitimately funny now with this gimmick, mm-hmm. calling it Moist TV is funny. All of that's really good, except it's basically the same shit, which is, again, repetitive. Morrison asked The Miz, his guest, if he faked the injury that we found out last week. And then Priest came out. Why this is still happening? I said this multiple times already today. I have no idea. Uh, He's an entirely different fucking feud, Priest. He's feuding with Sheamus. He does not need to be in segments still with The Miz and John Morrison. Miz revealed he was injured, but has been cleared for a few weeks, which pissed off Morrison because he didn't know that. They set up a match again. Holy shit. Priest versus The Miz. Sheamus came out and joined commentary. (laughs) Morrison walked out on Miz and WWE actually did tease a split between them. Priest beat Miz with a bro kick as he stared down Sheamus in a total squash match. So at least they ended it quickly and somewhat advanced the title feud by doing the bro kick two weeks in a row. Sheamus screamed that Priest disrespected him by using his finisher. He promised to decapitate him at SummerSlam. He said he was going to take his head off at SummerSlam. Uh, Morrison and Miz argued backstage later. They made up and they did that while New Day was dancing and trying to sell a shirt in the background. So I assume that's going to be a new feud that starts next week that they don't appreciate uh, being disrespected by New Day. So, you know, as far as Raw goes, Chris, we'll talk about this briefly before we get into the match. I just thought it was like, womp, womp, like just nothing really happened. Their promos between Priest and Sheamus were fine, but it didn't really sell me on it. It seems like this is a title feud that's been about everything but the title. Damian Priest should want the U.S. championship. He should be explaining why it's so important for him to get that win in WWE. We'll talk about picks in a little bit, but I just don't really understand what they're doing here. Yeah, well, well, first off, um, the Miz being back is quite remarkable because we everybody had thought he had torn his ACL in May. So we're here three months later and he's wrestling again. So obviously it wasn't a full tear. I don't know. If or it was, it was a strain or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. But but that's great news in general that the Miz is back and able to, to wrestle because we thought it could be out seven to nine months. Um, so that that's that's good. I, I think the Miz and Morrison tease has been. I, I've wanted it to come because I think Morrison's doing a really good job and he's kind of shined as the as the head of this whole thing. The segment was whatever Morrison was pretty funny but the rest of it was just annoying just kind of want this to get over with as it relates to Priest versus Sheamus I have not enjoyed Sheamus as U.S. champ the fact that he got hurt played a big role in it they stopped and started different feuds he's been having it's kind of just been whatever Priest get your win get your title let's move on to something else for everybody involved in this I keep going back and forth so your pick is Priest yes I keep going back and forth because I got to say, man, it feels to me like it's something they want to extend. Like oh, they, it, it's involving Damian Priest. So I'm sure it's going to some, something that goes on way longer than. It yeah. Should. So like on one hand, should there be a title change? There should be. It You need it to bump Priest up a little bit, right? He needs that. He needs that now. That it's, cash. It, he, the he got the WrestleMania thing. He needs to go. He needs to go up, up, up now. Yeah, they need the to US keep pushing him. So, so like that's why I just keep going back and forth because if I'm thinking about how WWE would book it, they'd book Sheamus to win, Priest to screw up somehow, 
and them to have like an extreme rules match or something next month with Priest finally winning. Um, but I- I'm going to side with you. They need exciting developments on the show. I only think there's so many spots in which they're going to have it. One of those, I think, will be Damian Priest winning his first title uh, on the main roster in WWE. So I will also pick Priest winning. And I would, you know what? If they do a rematch next month, like, you know what? We hate the rematches, right? But I wouldn't necessarily hate Sheamus getting a rematch in the next pay-per-view with a stipulation or something like that. They can still continue it even if Priest wins. Um, so yeah, I'll go with Priest as well. Yeah, I'm just concerned that we're going to get five Sheamus versus Damian Priest matches between SummerSlam and the next pay-per-view. Me too, me too. Okay, let's go to the rest of the card, which I have to say is better, <laughs> you know, in many ways. Like, uh, I yes. think we got through the, the stuff that, at least booking-wise, wasn't very good. There is one more, of course, the Raw Women's Championship, which wasn't, I'm sorry, and the WWE Championship. There's a couple more that booking hasn't been great, but the matches at least give us something to chew on and, and something to talk about. But let's start with the tag team divisions. Uh, we'll go SmackDown first, the Usos against the Mysterios for the titles. Uh, the Mysterios fought the Dirty Dogs on SmackDown. Ray again gave Dominic advice before the match. The Usos interrupted on the Titantron to shit talk the Mysterios. Dominic then caught Robert Roode with a pinning combination for the win. By the way, no one apparently hits their finishers and wins anymore. Uh, but this was another quick match, which was the trend all week, as I said. It did nothing for the build to SummerSlam. And the Usos have strangely been like separated from Roman Reigns for weeks now. I don't know why they're not interacting anymore. So this just did absolutely nothing for me. Well, yes, but the op the, the other option we would have gotten is Mysterios versus Usos again, leading into a Mysterios versus Usos match, considering we've already had them fight each other like three times in various singles matches uh, since Money in the Bank. Um but I'm excited for this match because I think these two teams work great together and I'm going to really enjoy this match. Um, my pick is going to be the Usos to retain. Uh, but I, I am looking forward to the match. I, I agree. It, it's been unfortunate we haven't seen the Usos with Roman very much. And this has kind of been my biggest criticism of SmackDown since crowds came back and since Cena came back, which is... We're only getting like one, maybe two Roman segments a show, and it's just him and a certain thing. And we're losing the larger story of the bloodline. I mean, they, they keep tweeting out videos from or, or photos from house shows of Roman and the Usos together. I assume they're doing six man tags or something like that. They are. So I'd love to yeah. see that. I'd love to see them more on TV because I think they're great together and they add to each other. But that's a whole other issue. I'm still excited for this match. I'm excited for the match because it's going to be good wrestling. Uh, The storyline hasn't been strong. I wish it was a little bit stronger. They probably should have done the six man that they've been doing, Mysterios and Cena against the Bloodline on TV. Maybe they'll do it for the go-home show. But I don't know why they haven't. We've talked about the misuse of John Cena where he's been at every single Raw and SmackDown but hasn't appeared on numerous episodes. I don't know why they're doing that. But yes, this should be a really good match if they give it time. Now, what's interesting is, again, this is going to be a condensed card, but if they put two matches on the kickoff show, we know the Goldberg-Bobby Lashley match is only going to be three minutes because Goldberg hasn't had a match longer than three minutes in, like, years. (laughs) Um, So that really leaves about seven matches to divide up over those three hours, and there's plenty of time when you only have seven matches like that. So this should get 18... 20 minutes. And if they do give it that opportunity, 
I do think it's going to bang because these are two really good teams. I'm also going to go with the Usos. It makes no sense to put the title back on the Mysterios. They had a chance to do it. I think it was at WrestleMania. Uh, They chose not to. They had a chance to do it in front of a crowd again. They chose not to. And they had a chance to do it on Father's Day, I think. And they chose not to. So I I don't know why they didn't crown the Mysterios as champions in front of a crowd where they could get a huge pop. It would help Dominic get over. They refused to do it. Maybe they do it here. But if Roman Reigns is keeping the title, which, spoiler alert, I think he's going to, um, then the Usos should keep the titles too. It doesn't really make any sense to do a change. So let's move over to the Raw Tag Team Championship. AJ Styles and Omos against RK Bro. And yes, this has been the best storyline on Raw over the definitely the last two weeks. But even beyond that, the Riddle segments have been the best thing on Raw for basically months at this point. So we have a lot to talk about from Raw. We're going to do that first, and then we'll talk about the match. Randy Orton opened Raw, saying he doesn't need to explain why he RKO'd Riddle last week. Then he put over Omos, just being strong and really good. He was ending his promo by saying RK before Riddle's bro interrupted him. That was really funny, and it did pop the crowd. Riddle said he knows Orton was just trying to teach him how to do the move last week, but he still wants to team up. AJ Styles came out and talked trash. He issued a challenge to Riddle on top of the Orton-Omas match that we were already getting later in the show. Riddle accepted because he said he's unstoppable with Orton in his corner, but before the bell, Orton left ringside. So that gave us Riddle versus Styles. Styles got in a bunch of offense and countered a Broton with a calf crusher, uh, and Riddle barely made it to the ropes. Riddle came back with a corner exploder suplex, but he got distracted by Omas, who, by the way, didn't do anything over than like, he like moved over two feet and Riddle got distracted. But he got distracted <laughs> and Styles picked him off the ropes and put him immediately into a Styles clash for a one, two, three in a great finish to what was a fantastic match. You give these guys, Riddle and, and Styles, 25 minutes, they're going to tear a house down at a pay-per-view. Instead, they got 10 minutes on Raw. Uh, Riddle was bummed after the match that Orton left him. Later in the show, we get Orton versus Omas. Backstage, Omas said he would become the new legend killer, and Styles said they would celebrate the death of RK Bro. Omas dominated and easily avoided an RKO. Styles kicked Orton blatantly at ringside for a ridiculous disqualification. Terrible booking on that. Riddle predictably made the save, and Styles sold his ass off for Riddle before Omas carried him to the back. The crowd chanted RK Bro, and Riddle offered his hand. Orton took it to stand up. Orton grabbed the mic. He said Riddle's earned his respect despite everything he put in front of him. He officially said RK Bro is back. The crowd popped really loud. They hugged. The crowd popped again. And then Riddle issued the championship challenge for SummerSlam. Styles cut an angry promo backstage later and seemed to accept the challenge. This entire thing, Chris, completely worked. The fans ate it up. I hated the DQ finish for Orton Omas. Every other part of it for me was a home run. They could not have brought Randy Orton back and had RK Bro just continue as it was. That is not Randy Orton's character. It never has been, never will be. They had to create that angst and that consternation of will they, won't they, the odd couple dynamics. They had to bring those back. They succeeded in doing it. Riddle is over. Randy Orton is over. RK Bro is over. This all worked for me. Yeah, I mean, they really dragged it out as much as you could on the show, which was a nice way to do it. Um, They told a story where you wanted to keep watching to see what happened next with it. Um, I'm surprised they didn't announce 
beforehand that we'd get Styles versus Riddle. I mean, they had announced Randy versus Omos, but I figure, you know, announcing Styles Riddle is the kind of thing that's going to get people to turn on their TV, I think. Um, so that was a bit surprising. That's a tune-in match. You're right, it is. Exactly, that's what I'm yeah. saying. So as opposed to announcing like Rhea Nikki Ash, which I, I think they had done. But, you know, so Riddle loses the first match and you're thinking, man, he's lost to AJ and Omos basically clean, I think in two straight weeks or two out of the last three weeks. And you're like, man, that's 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 kind of tough. But in the back of your mind, you like you kind of know where it's going. And so you get that at the end with not the end, but later in the show with RK bro coming together. I love Randy's promo. He seemed to really enjoy it and, and really have a lot of energy and passion in it, explaining why Riddle earned his respect and stuff like that. And it was great. I, I would have liked this is being totally nitpicky, but I would have I would have loved it. The beatdown was a little bit more serious. I mean, it kind of dragged and they didn't it really did him all that yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. Like just like really start beating the crap out of him when Riddle comes down, I think could have just been a little bit more juice. But it, it, again, it's nitpicking. It was good stuff. Looking forward to this match. And I guess if we're going to do picks, um, going to pick RK bro. No. Ooh. This is tough. You go first. What's your pick? I'm picking RK bro. Here's the thing. I just said it. Orton's over. Riddle's over. RK bro is over. Styles and Omos, they're kind of over too, right? They're over. Uh, they are, but there's just, you you have to strike while the iron's hot sometimes. Unlike Nikki Ash, where they went way too fast, RK bro has actually, especially because Orton wasn't on TV for a month, RK bro is a storyline that's existed for months now. So pulling the trigger at your biggest show, second biggest show of the year is not too fast for me. Also, you want that title. You need them. You need fresh matches. Styles and Omas said it. They've basically beaten every other tag team on Raw already. So you want RK Bro against maybe a heel Viking Raiders. Um, you want them against, I don't know, Lucha House Party, some other, I don't even know what teams are on the show anymore, right? But you need them. You need fresh tag team. You need fresh dynamics. And them coalescing together and winning the championship. It's just the right call. You gotta have some big crowd pop moments. I don't know that there's gonna be plenty of them on the show. I think we're gonna get one of them with Priest winning, but I, I don't even think that's that big. RK Bro winning would be huge. Again, strike while the iron is hot. Go with it. Otherwise, you're dragging this out for another month. And by the, by the time we get it at the September pay-per-view, we're gonna be rolling our eyes. We're gonna know that they're gonna win. It won't be as yeah. good. I think yeah, they absolutely you, you, have to do it. Yeah, you convince me. It, it makes more sense because especially if they lose, then there's no reason in kayfabe for them to stay together. And, and you definitely want them to stay together. I just hope AJ and Omas stay together because those guys are great together. They are over. I'm wondering if these last couple singles Omas matches are the start of him breaking away from AJ. I... I I wish we've gotten more from these guys and I want these guys to be face as well because the crowd loves these guys. AJ's funny. They play off. They can do a lot of fun stuff together. I think they'd be a great face tag team. But now with RK bro there, I, I don't know what you do. So you're right. I, I, I'm picking RK bro and I'm really, really hoping that AJ and Omos stay together. I'd love to trade like Styles and Omos to SmackDown for like Street Profits. Or, or I was I was actually going to say Kevin Owens, but yeah, like yeah. Kevin Owens. Oh, yeah. 
and the street profits, let's say, coming back, yeah. or something like that. Like those are just the types of switches that we need. It doesn't have to be a full, you know, complete reorganization of the roster, but there's got to be some some fresh stuff happening. And Styles and Omas on Raw, it's a bit tired. Put them over on SmackDown, like you said, as a face team against the Usos, against Alpha Academy, against the Dirty Dogs. I think you have something going there, right? So mm-hmm. that that's the move I would make for that. But yeah, definitely RK Bro here winning the titles. That's the second title change that uh, we are talking about out of three matches so far on the show. Let's move on to, look, I'm putting it here. I don't care what you guys say. The WWE Championship match, Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg. Uh, The main event of Raw was a face-to-face. Goldberg brought up his son and showing him what Goldberg used to be like, which was his storyline like last year or a couple years ago. MVP came out and got stupid what chance. Lashley said he'll end Goldberg's career, but leave him alive just enough that he can sing the praises of Lashley in the future. Goldberg called it bullshit. I don't even know what was bullshit about it, but he called it (laughs) bullshit. Then Lashley took a swing and he ate a very weak spear. Short range. He didn't even get any momentum yeah, it, behind it. Yeah, it was, it was surprising he didn't get more behind it. Then Goldberg grabbed his son, Gage, who was there, I think, with his high school football team. That was kind of cool for him. Because they're in they're, they're in Texas. Right. I hadn't realized, but Goldberg said his, he moved his family to Texas two years ago, so it made sense. Right. They left, and that was the go-home segment. It was simply terrible. It didn't make me want to see their match. Didn't want me. Didn't make me want to buy SummerSlam or get the Peacock uh, so I could... Watch SummerSlam. Is this a big meaty men slap and meat match? It is. It's two big dudes. We're going to get spear, jackhammer, a, a jump, um, you know, some power slams maybe. It's going to be a three-minute match. I don't care about the match. I don't care about Goldberg. This was the wrong spot. If you wanted to do something with Goldberg, you put him against younger dudes. You let younger dudes beat him so he can put them over. Uh, I I just, I don't give a shit about any of this. If they put the title on Goldberg, it will be a horrendous, absolutely horrendous booking decision. And I don't give a shit, Chris, if they put the title on Goldberg and then Big E cashes in his briefcase. Number one, let's not forget he doesn't have his briefcase. But even if he gets it back Friday night on SmackDown, I understand that Biggie once said, and we use it, look, we use it all the time. That's where this sound drop came from. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> it's from the New Day podcast. Uh, Biggie said that if he could create a Survivor Series team, he would do a Survivor Series team of all Goldbergs. Like, like he loves Goldberg. He loves big meaty men slapping meat. We did his top five big meaty men matches that he wants to have. Uh, on this podcast, when I interviewed Biggie, you should listen to that interview. Goldberg, of course, is the first name. He wants to fight Goldberg. I would love for him to fight Goldberg one day. But I do not want, number one, a quick cash-in with Big E. I don't think Goldberg is such an idol of Big E's that he needs to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase. And I would much rather Bobby Lashley put over a younger talent, a Keith Lee, for example, um, a Damian Priest, for example, a Riddle, for example, and drop the title to one of them than to lose it to freaking Goldberg as a means of being a transitional to champion, whether that's to Biggie or anyone else. So under no circumstances do I want Goldberg to win. And even if you could make it as a prediction, I don't want to put it into the universe. So I am picking Bobby Lashley to retain the title because as bad as Raw is, 
as stupid as the booking is, I don't think they can be so stupid as to having Goldberg beat Bobby Lashley, who they have built up into this unbeatable force at the top of their main event division. They're, they're not doing it. I, I said this when this started. Bobby Lashley's winning this match. Just like I said when Drew McIntyre and Goldberg started that Drew McIntyre was winning that match. Now, your theory about Big E and Goldberg and all this stuff got me a little freaked out. I know. <laughs> but, but the fact that Corbin just stole the money in the bank briefcase, clearly setting up a Big E Corbin feud makes me less uh, less concerned about that. So Lashley's going to win. It's going to be a boring match. It's going to be whatever. That said, I like Goldberg's promo on Monday. And, and just I like his intensity because we don't get that really anywhere else on the roster because everybody else has half speaks in sarcasm when they give their promos. It's just kind of the way WWE does it. I like the kind of really old school way of a guy just coming out and screaming. <laughs> it's like it gets me fired up a bit. I'm not looking forward to the match, but when Goldberg pops up to do a promo, I'm paying attention. And I think other people like that, which is why he gets cheers from the crowd because he's he's entertaining. But other than that, match is going to be boring. Lashley's going to win. The Almighty's great. You should go listen to Lashley on the Broken Skull Sessions. Also, Lashley's promo was pretty good. He he said on Stone Cold that he's been taking acting classes, and he's, as champion, gotten better and better on the mic himself, Lashley has, and definitely deserves credit for that. He, is, he continues to improve uh, as champion. I just cannot believe this is the SummerSlam main event for, for well, Raw. You know, you know what you just mentioned? For Imagine Raw. if it's... we had done Big E versus Goldberg. Oh, like you could have just done that. Perfect booking. Hey, Goldberg comes yeah. out. Hey, heard you've been talking about me. Heard you've been laughing about me. Yeah. They play the clip from the podcast. Boom. Fight. Biggie wins in three minutes. Yeah. Great. Now he's over. Yeah. Now, now he's over. He's stronger. And now yes. when he decides to challenge Roman Reigns, maybe when he cashes in the briefcase, it's like for a set match as opposed to like, a you know, doing it behind his back, stabbing him in, in the back, yeah. winning the title. Then you're like, whoa, this guy is a capable challenger. That's how you use Goldberg to set people up to main event, to win yeah. big matches, to get over with the crowd. You don't need to put him in a title match against a guy who's already established. By the way, I think I could be wrong. I believe this is the oldest WWE championship match in company history at like 99 years combined between these two guys. This has... No business being a championship match, and it has no business being on SummerSlam. Yes. Was was Hulk Hogan Shawn Michaels uh, a, a championship match? Even if it was, I don't day? think it would have a, come to 99 years. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. But, but yeah, Lash, Lashley's older than you think, and he said on Stone Cold he thinks he still has five years left. That dude is a machine. Oh, he, he looks like he easily has five years left. Yeah. Lashley's the guy who in the future can do what Goldberg is doing. The difference yeah. is Lashley is in peak physical condition and will be in peak physical condition because he's Bobby Lashley and he's nothing but like a rock. You know what I mean? Like the guy's never looked any different <laughs> in his entire life. So, so Lashley, you know, five years from now, if he's doing what Goldberg's doing with the exception of being in title matches, that's a great usage of Bobby Lashley. But man, like this, this is not a SummerSlam quality match. 
It's going to be garbage. This this belongs. You know what this belongs? Blood Money in the Sand 6. They should have saved yeah. this for Saudi Arabia. Yep. That would have been okay. Not I mean, solid. the whole thing's not okay, but if you're going to do it, that's where you do if it. If you're going to do it, that's where you do it. That's that's all I'm saying. Okay, let's move on to the four matches that I think are really going to be the highest quality, the, the most attractive matches, let's say, on the card. We'll start with the Raw Women's Championship. Nikki Ash defending against Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley in a triple threat match. So we'll talk about what happened on Raw first. We're going to do it in two parts because a lot happened. A lot of these will be in multiple parts. We had Nikki versus Rhea Ripley. So after doing the singles match with Flair two weeks in a row, now we get the Ripley match two weeks in a row. What absolute shit booking that is. Flair, of course, walked out before the bell. Ripley got a near fall with a really, really nice Northern Lights suplex. Nikki hit a tornado DDT, only to be booted and easily hit with the Riptide for the champion to lose on the go-home show in a match that had no business taking place at all. The crowd didn't care about Nikki. Nikki got pissed after the match and attacked Charlotte. And then Nikki and Rhea teamed up to beat up Flair. That was the opening segment to this women's feud. And I just couldn't believe they booked it at all, let alone booked it the way they did. Yeah, I, it's just so boring. We've just we've seen it a million times. It doesn't make me more excited to see them again by seeing them continue to fight each other. It actively makes me less excited for the match. Right. Like, what else is there to do? They, The story was told backwards at the beginning by giving Nikki the belt and then her having to prove to be the champion. Nikki's given it her all, but it's you can tell the crowd doesn't know what to think about this. It's not her fault at all. None of this is her fault. It's 100% WWE's fault for booking. Um, We'll just keep going. Nikki and Ripley then teamed up against Flair and Nia Jax because Flair was angry and Sonya Deville let her choose a partner for a tag team match. Jax did a stink face on Nikki. So now Nikki's lost a match and has Nia Jax's ass in her face. Shayna Baszler watched backstage. At least they didn't forget she existed. Jax went for a bonsai drop when Flair tagged herself in and hit natural selection for a clean win on Ripley. So the champion has lost two matches being pinned once and had another woman's ass in her face on the go-home show. This is pathetic, nonsensical booking to not only do that to your champion, but then have one of your challengers also lose before the pay-per-view. It also seems to give away the result since WWE, we know how they book. I can't see Nikki losing now. Not that I ever thought she would, they rushed the gimmick, uh, you know, into reality. They rushed her cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase, which is not something that should have happened until September or October at the earliest. They completely botched this storyline and every match that's been involved in this feud, with the exception of the No Holds Barred match between Flair and Nikki, which was yes. really good. Every yes. other match has been shit. The booking has been shit. Nikki Ash is going to win and retain the title. God help them if they do anything else. I have no idea how anyone could be excited about this match. Yeah, and it's a real shame because all three of them are incredibly talented and they had set it up well coming out of Money in the Bank. Charlotte won a terrific match with Rhea. Ella got herself back up to the spot where she should be. She's been doing great promo work. Her character is built 
to be long reign heel champion. And instead, the next day, they decide to pop the crowd, put the title on a Nikki, and it's been a complete mess ever since. I'm picking Nikki to retain because I guess that's the story they're telling us. But man, can you can you imagine if Charlotte was the dominant champion coming into this? And maybe we got another Rhea match and then Nikki cashed in at the end of SummerSlam. Even I mean, I agree they should have done it later on. But like, man, like you got to tell this. You got to tell the story to get to the point. I don't understand. I, I guess we're trying to. We're trying to see Nikki deserves to be the champion, I guess. I I, I don't know. I'm picking Nikki, but it's it's been a complete mess of a story. Not the fault at all of any of the women involved. <sighs> Yeah, it's none of their fault, you're right. And it's not Nikki's fault that her character is not getting over. It's completely WWE's fault. Let's move over to the SmackDown Women's Championship, Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. Now, let me start off by saying, we don't even know if this match is going to happen on the show because Belair and Banks missed a pair of house shows over the weekend that were deemed absences for unforeseen circumstances. There's a report out, it's one report, no confirmation, the WWE brass is worried they won't be on the show. But I mean, I'm worried they won't be on the show also just from hearing those uh, that they missed two house shows. So this yeah. sounds like it's something we're not going to know until Friday. We might as well discuss it. We might as well make a pick. But if this match isn't on the show, then this card is seriously downgraded because this is legitimately a top three match that I'm looking forward to on this pay-per-view. So there was a contract signing on Friday. Belair said Banks didn't need to stab her in the back for a rematch. All she had to do was ask. Sasha called her a bitch. And Sonya Deville laid down the law that they needed to sign the contract. Banks said she wanted witnesses for the signing and brought out Carmella and Zelina Vega. For what reason? I have no <laughs> idea why they are still involved in this. They signed the contract. All the women brawled. Belair beat the shit out of Carmella and Vega. Then she flipped over a table with a seated senton onto Banks in a really cool spot. Banks got over on Belair, slammed her head into the table, then put her in the bank statement on top of the table to end the show. This was a bit strange as a main event segment and not much really happened after a strong effort last week. It wasn't bad, Chris, but it wasn't notable in any way. Nevertheless, I am really excited for Belair against Banks part two. Yeah, I'm really excited too. The contract uh, signing was kind of weird for how you said it. They end it with Bianca getting choked out, but it was that weird thing where you have to get choked out by the mouth is like the only way the WWE is allowed to do it. Um, so that was kind of a strange visual. I'm excited for the match. These two had an awesome match at WrestleMania and it feels like it could be a great rivalry. In terms of a pick, I feel like it's got to be Bianca because... I don't know who else. What other face women are there on the SmackDown roster right now? I don't even know. Maybe Tony um, Storm. Is she a face? I mean, maybe I, we haven't even seen her it's our in, in, once. in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is strange. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to see Bianca. in weeks either. Yeah. Yeah. Just I'm going with Bianca because I, normally I would pick Sasha because then you can do a Bianca chasing Sasha thing. You want to extend this, whatever heels it's more natural for heel to be a champion but i don't really know where else they'd go and bianca is the kind of face champion where you need her to do awesome stuff to to like just her being all like like 
like like McIntyre champion during the pandemic. You like a, a a face champion who just kicks ass all the time. I'd love to see that with Bianca. Um, so I hope that's what they do. And I'm, I'm going to go with Bianca here. Well, speaking of people we haven't seen, Liv Morgan is also on SmackDown and was, we thought, getting a little bit of a push. Mm. So you do have Liv Morgan and Tony Storm, if you did switch the title, who could go against Banks, but also you could easily t- turn Tony Storm heel um, and she could easily go heel against Belair. And if Belair stays champion, to your point, you have Carmella, who she's already beaten like three times. You have Zelina Vega, who she just beat. So she doesn't deserve an opportunity. And that's really it. Bailey's injured. You know, Becky Lynch isn't there yet. Naomi, it seems, has been moved to SmackDown, but we haven't seen her. So Naomi is an option. Tony Storm, I guess, is an option if Belair retains the title. But Nevertheless, I, I think she has to. I, I'm happy she won the championship at WrestleMania. It's only been a couple of months. She's clearly over. I just don't see a good reason for her to have a short reign, unlike with Rhea Ripley, where WWE had to totally change their plans. And they just said, OK, we'll put the title on Ripley because people do like her. And, you know, we'll figure it out after the fact. This, they've been able to plan. So my assumption is Bel Air wins, but then you have Bel Air 2-0 over Banks and Sasha right. losing at WrestleMania and SummerSlam in the same year. What does Sasha do after that? Where does she go? Mm-hmm. Maybe, she teams, call. maybe she teams with Carmella and they get into a tag team title situation. So I think there's every good reason to put the title on Banks. I really do. But for my prediction, I'm going to agree with you. I think we're in line for every we, single we've match. We've agreed on every single match yeah, so far. I, I don't but this like, is definitely, this is, I mean, a lot of them are easy. This is by far the toughest This is the one. toughest of them. The I do card. agree, but I do lean towards Bel Air retaining. I just think it's the right decision. I, I, really I, I like, my, my heart, my heart's telling me Sasha. I, 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 I think, cause I can just, you can see it. SummerSlam, you know, they give her that moment. These two keep feuding for a few months. I'm changing my pick. I'm going Sasha. We need to. We need to. <laughs> we need to be different here. I'm going Sasha. That's fine. Uh, okay, let's move over to what I believe are the co-main events of this show, because I don't know how you do Seth Rollins versus Edge, and have that not in your mind be one of the top two matches on a pay per view. So we'll talk about SmackDown first. Rollins screamed at production in the WWE truck, and then aired a video package showing he's met and exceeded Edge's accomplishments in WWE. Then he said Edge, his family, and the fans should thank Rollins for not ending his career in 2014 because of everything that's happened since. The crowd was really hot for Edge, who wasn't there. Rollins said he won't hesitate to take him out for good this time because Edge has been directly affecting his own family's future. It was a tremendous promo from Rollins, and it only helped build what's already a very exciting match I did think it was strange not to have Edge in attendance, though I'm sure he's going to be there this week. Now, this is a really, really interesting match from a booking perspective, because I can make cases for both guys. On one hand, Edge, he's been back, he did win the Royal Rumble, but he really hasn't won much of anything else. He's lost to Reigns, lost the triple threat match at WrestleMania. But if he wins, there's really nowhere for him to go except the Universal Championship which granted they could definitely do at one of the upcoming pay-per-views, but do you really want a rematch again? And do you really want Reigns against Edge at like extreme rules when you could have such a title change, a huge match 
at SummerSlam or WrestleMania or one of these other, a Clash of Champions, one of these really big pay-per-views that set up better for a title change. On the other hand, you have Seth Rollins who's come back, he's revitalized his character, and he's been doing this storyline with Roman Reigns where it seems like he's kind of ducking him. But at the same time, Rollins can lose and not be affected at all, as we've seen with basically every feud he's been in over the last 14 months. So I can really go both ways on this. But I'm going to surprise you because even though I think if I had to put money on it, that Edge is going to win, I think they're going to swerve us and have Seth Rollins beat Edge at SummerSlam. I think it's going to be the match of the night. I think it's going to go 20 to 25 minutes and tear the house down. I am extremely excited to see what happens here. The only thing that I'm going to add to my prediction is I'm going to guess that Rollins wins with a weapon, with cheating, with doing something behind the referee's back, which will set up a rematch between them with a weapon or something like that at Extreme Rules or at this next pay-per-view. And if that happens, then I think Edge goes over the next time. But for this match at SummerSlam, I'm going to pick Seth Rollins, who, by the way, is quickly becoming Mr. SummerSlam in WWE. That's a good point. I... I, I'm I'm annoyed. I think we kind of agree again. P- part of me, damn it! I sees, thought I, I thought I was going out on a limb there. <laughs> the thing is, part of me sees. I think we're we're both picking the heel men's champions to win. I'm picking a heel women's champion to win. Where are the big face wins outside of RK Bro? And you think, hey, this could be one of those spots. It definitely. But can. you're right. If Edge wins, does Seth deserve another match? Probably not. And it seems like the next feud for Roman is going to be Finn Balor. Right. I think. So you so it makes sense that this is the first of maybe two or three Edge versus Rollins matches, which would be good. And when that happens, you typically need the heel to win first. Maybe by cheating. You know, probably by cheating. And so... I could see that and that's kind of my pick. But then the other part, then I go back to, again, where are the big face wins? I, this is another really tough one. Belair, RK bro, Damian priest. I mean, I went with Sasha just, Nikki. To, maybe just to change it up, but okay. True. Yeah, true. I'm just saying, gonna, you know, you know, right. So I'm going to go Rollins. I, I, I just got to think of it just in the context of this match. I'm going to go Rollins. Drew McIntyre also could be a baby face one. Um, yeah, I just I think it's the right move. And I think, look, again, we don't like rematches, but we know WWE is going to do them, right? So we have to book it, we have to predict and book, uh, book the damn territory with them in mind in that regard. So the idea of you know Rollins doing something using brass knucks or doing this or doing that and beating Edge and Edge attacking him next Friday, the following Friday, on SmackDown, and that's setting up a match at Extreme Rules, which is a revenge you know, type of pay-per-view. And then, as you noted, which I didn't, that given Finn Balor seems to be the next challenger already set for Roman Reigns, you know he's going to be busy and not going to fight Rollins. It makes sense to me to kind of weave all that together. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what WWE does because look, we have Extreme Rules coming up in September. There's going to be a pay-per-view in October. We don't know what it is. Blood Money in the Sand 6 is coming back in October where they're going to go back to Saudi Arabia. And then Survivor Series 
is in November and Royal Rumble is obviously not until January. So there's not another big tentpole pay-per-view for WWE coming up between now and January because Survivor Series is obviously always brand versus brand. So I don't exactly know what they're going to do with Rollins, what they're going to do with Edge and what they're going to do with Roman Reigns outside of the Finn Balor storyline. And it does create some interesting dynamics when we do book and predict this pay-per-view. So with us agreed, basically on everything, uh, except for one match, we're going to move to clearly what should be the main event of SummerSlam, Roman Reigns defending the Universal Championship against John Cena. And we will start, of course, with SmackDown. So Cena opened SmackDown to a huge ovation, huge, and tore down Reigns on the mic as usual. He admitted Reigns will kick his ass at SummerSlam, but said Roman will still lose. Cena said SmackDown and WWE belong to the fans and not Reigns, and that Reigns needs to get humbled by Cena because the decade-long push that WWE has given to Reigns simply has failed. Cena also pointed out this would be his historic 17th title. Reigns said Cena is disrespected, believe it or not, and arguably the GOAT, but he's not good enough to beat him. He then said that Cena bored Nikki Bella with missionary position for far too long. And Cena looked legitimately shook after that. There ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. So I love that he referenced the last promo. I thought that was a great shot on Cena. Cena looked shook. This was a unscripted segment, I should note. Cena shot back that Reigns has been protected his whole career. He referred to Roman's veneers as bars of soap, which was funny. Uh, said he nearly ruined Seth Rollins and then said he ran Dean Ambrose out of WWE, which I could not believe he said. Then Cena talked about everything WWE has done to protect Reigns, calling him the biggest failure in WWE history and saying all Cena needs to get is a one, two, three. He can get his ass kicked, but all he needs to get is a one, two, three. This was, Chris, a tremendous... Wait, wait, wait. You, you, wait, you missed one. What? Uh, unless, unless I didn't hear you say it. And he says, I might win the title, jump into the crowd, blow you a kiss goodbye, right. and leave. A clear reference to CM Punk on top of everything else. You're right. I did miss that. Uh, he said that. Uh, it was very, very funny. I mean, look, you're talking Ambrose, uh, Moxley, obviously, and CM Punk. Rampage was coming up, you know, after the show. Right. It, it was, this was just very good. It shows you when you give people a mic and you allow them the opportunity to go out there and deliver, they can deliver. Not every talent can do it, but there's plenty who can. And you have to give them such opportunities. Obviously, John Cena is one of the best mic men in, of all time. Him, The Rock, Austin, like th there's very, you know, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. There is a, a very select group that can just, dominate off the cuff on the mic. Cena's among them, but Roman Reigns, man, I don't care if he prepared things himself, took notes, bullet points, whatever. He fully delivered in this segment. It was tremendous. It did take the first 25 minutes of the show. It did yes. not need to be that long. It could have been 17 minutes, 20 minutes. It was way too long, and I think it contributed to a lot of really short matches. But once they got face-to-face -face in the ring, it was legitimately captivating, unlike the Goldberg and Bobby Lashley segment. This sold the match. 
It sold the feud and it sold SummerSlam as a must-see pay-per-view. The crowd, maybe it could have reacted a bit more, but it still did its job, Chris. Overall, this was a massive win. This was this was the promo I wanted from them the the Friday after SmackDown or after Money in the Bank. The the first time after Cena came back, I I wanted that to set the tone. Instead, we kind of got missionary. We got contract stuff. They weren't always together, but we're here and we got it. And actually, there's one other line that I popped for the very end when when, when Roman's done and he knows Cena's gonna finish it off. He go. He says, "Take us home, kid." <laughs> I love that. I love that. So th- this was great across the board, and I just thought about like, man, the the reaction that I saw on Twitter from a lot of people who are really big AEW fans to this prom to this promo. It's just like, man, this is the kind of edgy break the fourth wall a little bit stuff that would really get a lot of people back into WWE. There's no reason, not saying you name drop Dean Ambrose every time, but like acknowledge that there's a world and get really deep into it. That will sell people on any match. It doesn't have to just be Cena versus Roman. And so this was this was great and everybody loved it. And it's the kind of thing you just wish they could do more of. This is the kind of thing they would do all the time in the Attitude Era with, with promos and just going at each other, try to pop guys in the back, try to try to rib guys or stuff like that. So and, and then to, to do the Dean Ambrose reference and the Moxley reference, when Rampage is coming CM up Punk, after yeah. your show, I'm sorry, CM Punk and Moxley yeah. reference, when Rampage is coming up after your show was stunning. And that's the kind of like edgy stuff you'd love to see WWE do more of and would get a lot more attention for. I haven't, I haven't looked at the YouTube numbers, but I guarantee that's going to have way more views than anything else that they did on either of these shows. So it was great. The, the only one, the one thing that was missing, not even missing, but just that I would have done was I talked about this, a month ago after Money in the Bank, when Cena and Roman had their face-to-face before No Mercy 2016, and Cena put Roman on the spot in a one-on-one promo, and Romo, Roman forgot some of his lines. Oh, yeah. Cena called him out. Cena called him out for it. And it was like, it was like, and Cena said, I'm here because you can't do your job. They're not doing that same story. They're not getting that real about it. But it, I think it could have even taken the edge up a little bit more or even Roman to say, hey, I'm not that same guy five years ago who you thought, you know, you had to come and save. This is my kingdom now. This is my this is my show and I'm going to end you. So go go back and watch that. No Mercy promo and then watch the one we got last Friday and you can see just how far Roman has come. That's the thing. It's Roman has stepped up where John Cena isn't needed, actually. In fact, yes, exactly. you can make an argument. I know. Look, I know Rain Cena is a big booking. And I'm very, very excited for it for the pay-per-view. You could have made an argument that you could have gone with Roman Reigns, Finn Balor, and Bobby Lashley, John Cena, and it would have been much better because and, and, Raw, and Roman could have been the and Roman would have been the main event of that show, and and so would have Finn Balor, right, in that booking, right? Right. So you're getting not a young guy, but he's younger uh, than Cena, obviously. But you're you're giving Balor a huge moment, a huge opportunity. You're helping Raw, which needs the help with Cena. Obviously, they would never do it because it's Fox deal and they put Cena over there. But if they had done that booking, 
both, I wouldn't say both shows would be better off for it. Raw would have been better off for it. And SummerSlam as a pay-per-view would have been better off for it. Because the truth is, WWE, it, it still needs John Cena. It does overall. But it doesn't necessarily need John Cena in the main event with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns has stepped up. Now, he's not as big of a star as Cena is, but he can carry the mantle from a promo standpoint, from a wrestling standpoint, and from a storytelling standpoint. So yes, a lot has changed in that period of time, which takes us now to SummerSlam. And look, again, I could make some cases for John Cena winning the title. Among them are, you need someone super, super strong to take the title off Reigns because really who is going to? You know, I don't think Balor will, obviously. Big E, we think, is a really good option to do it. It seems like that's what they're setting up, unless it's a failed cash-in, which would be disastrous. But other than Big E, really, um, and a Bobby Lashley or a Drew McIntyre, there's not really a lot of people, given the way Reigns has beaten everyone he's faced, Edge, um, Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan, all these guys, there's not a lot of people where you can say, yeah, that's the one. That's the one who's going to beat Reigns. So if you want to take the title off him, you want to do a transitional reign, maybe to Balor, I could see a scenario where, you know, Cena wins and Cena-Balor happens. Balor then wins at Extreme Rules or at the MSG show or something like that. So I could see it happening, but there's really not a good reason to do it. Also, it would be, I should note before I move on, it would also be John Cena's 17th championship reign, which again, he mentioned in this promo. And WWE did just release Ric Flair, which they did because Flair requested it. At at his request, yes. At his request. So it could be a way to kind of say, hey, Flair, F you. We're putting the the title on Cena. He's doing the record. Now, I would think that when WWE does that, if WWE ever does that, they would want Ric Flair to be there to kind of anoint him and kind of say congratulations, champ, and all that kind of stuff, but maybe not. So I could see a scenario where that happens. And I don't think it would be the worst booking if they decided to do it. I wouldn't shit on it as long as the match is really good. But for a pick, for a prediction, that's what we're doing here. Roman Reigns really should be the one who wins. You just want to keep elevating this guy. He's really run out of people to continue elevating him. If he doesn't beat Cena now, when the hell is he ever going to fight Cena again? It doesn't make any sense, really, to have Cena beat him and and have Reigns be able to stand up and beat everyone except fall to the mighty John Cena. So yes, I have Roman Reigns winning, retaining the title, and I really hope it's a great match, and I hope it's super squeaky clean as well. Yeah, I'm... The the number 17 is what stands over this because if there was a time for Cena to do it, it's it's right now. Like you have to make that decision. Do you want Cena to be the number one guy for all time? Because if you do, this is the time to do it. And I'm glad Cena brought it up in the promo. It kind of been hanging over, kind of just ignored it. It's a big deal if that happens. And you know, could they do Cena wins the title, Roman wins it back a month later. Like, yeah, they could. I mean, people forget that Lex Luger won the WCW championship during Hollywood Hogan's big ring, immediately lost it back, and then Sting won it at Starcade. It, it's, it's, I could see that happening. In the end, though, 
I don't think it's going to happen, and I'm going to pick Roman. But I would not be shocked if Cena won. I would not be mad if Cena won. I mean, Roman does have that win from No Mercy over Cena, so I think they'd be one and one all time against each other. Um, so I'm excited for this because I could see both outcomes happening, and I wouldn't hate either outcome. So that kind of makes it exciting. So my my pick is Roman, but I, I I think there is a little bit of doubt in there. I think it certainly would boost ratings if you had Cena win. But then what do you do? You have Reigns win it back, you know, two yeah, Smackdowns later rules. or something like that. Like I'll, I was going to do it ex- extreme rules if you can have Cena come back for one pay-per-view. But like, yeah. if he, like if if he can last there long enough. So I don't know. I mean, I could see. Look, I think if Reigns lost to Cena, then got a rematch and, and beat the crap out of him, you know, that could work. But right. you're at such a big show. It really just feels like you got to have Reigns win and retain the title. But I'm I'm interested mm-hmm. in it. I am curious about it. Like they have and me. Roman Roman wouldn't be hurt by it. He's won at so many big shows. Time he would and time not be again. hurt. It's, Agreed. It's not like Roman would be hurt by this, especially if it was like via mistake. He did something, like Paul, you know, like or Paul Heyman does something on accident. Yeah, or 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 even Cena just shocks him with like a pinning combination, which is a totally valid way to win a match, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't do that at the main event of a big show, though. No, but like if he hits the AA and he kick like if and he kicks out a couple times and so on and so forth, maybe he reverses the spear or the Superman punch. And I don't know, you know, Cena's capable, right? And he's slimmed down, too. So he has that athleticism. I'm just saying you could create a finish with Cena winning that could leave. I could leave the show happy. I just don't know that it's the best booking decision if they go in that direction. So we're going to see what happens. We, of course, do have our go home show uh, on Friday where we will give you last minute predictions in case any of our thoughts change. Certainly, if the Bianca Belair Sasha Banks match changes or gets removed, well, there'll probably be a new match in its place. We can talk about that. But that's all coming. Before we get out of the SummerSlam Ultimate Preview, Chris, we need to give our pre-show expectation grades. Now, you all will be able to tell us your grades both before and after the show by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and voting in the poll both, again, before and after the show. But Chris, we need to speak, right? We need to give you our grades before our listeners give their grades. So what is your expectation grade for 2021 WWE SummerSlam. I'm going to go with a B plus. I I trust WWE's ability to put on a good show. I think the the main event will be good and leave us with a good taste on our mouths at the end. But there's just too many matches on this card that I don't really care about and think the result is incredibly predictable that I'm not going to get it into the A range in terms of expectation. So even B plus might be a bit much, but I think WWE's done a good enough job, a good enough track record with their pay-per-views that that B plus is where I'm going to sit. See, that's the thing. For major pay-per-views in particular, but all pay-per-views, WWE, despite on TV not getting our benefit of the doubt, they actually deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to pay-per-view. But even with the benefit of the doubt, I still can't go that high. I just... There is way too much on this card that either wasn't built well or I actively don't want to see Bliss and Eva Marie and Goldberg and Bobby Lashley being 
They're really the two standout matches along with Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal. So three of the 10 matches, I don't have interest in, period. So the other seven, if I was just basing it on those, I'd be probably at a B plus. I'd be with you. But with those, I got to go to B. And I also want to give myself some wiggle room too. Because when we do our post-show grade, you know, if it's better than the way we talked about it on this show, I want to be able to give them credit for booking a really good show and putting on a good pay-per-view. But also, there's way lower it can go. Like this, this could be a really bad show that has two standout matches on the entire thing. So we're just going to have to see how it plays out. We're going to have to see what the booking is like. Chris is a B plus. I'm a B. Once again, you can give us your grades. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, more more Saturday pay per views. By the way, I love that this is on a Saturday. Oh, I'm not. I, a huge I get fan. why it's a bit different. I, I I'm not. Well, I, I take that back. I take that back during football season because we cover college football. <laughs> when I yeah, I'm not a huge but fan in of the su- in, yeah. in the spring and the summer. I, I I like Saturday. No, I, I don't like this at all. Sunday, it's nice. It ends the week. You start fresh on Monday. Raw's the next day. Like you know, I know. Listen, Raw's sucked, but. You get the show after a major, pay, especially when it's a major pay-per-view, 24 hours later. I love the dynamics. I really do not like, personally, that this is Saturday. But you know what? It's a pay-per-view. It's SummerSlam. We're going to see what happens. So a reminder before we get out of here about the rest of the schedule, just so no one forgets so that we're on the same page. Thursday, we have our 200th episode special interview. We're going to do the NXT TakeOver 36 Ultimate Preview. We're going to talk AEW Rampage, and we're going to talk AEW Dynamite. On Friday, we will have a go-home show with you know everything that happened on SmackDown. Quick review of that. It's going to be a very short show, I should mention. Everything that happens on SmackDown, we're going to try to at least touch on it, give last-minute predictions if there's any changes for SummerSlam. And we're also going to talk AEW Rampage because we believe that it's clobbering time and CM Punk is going to make his debut this Friday night in AEW, which is obviously huge news. We can't not talk about it the night that it happens. On Saturday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, we will have a live SummerSlam preview on Twitter. Spaces, 30 minutes. You will not miss a second of the kickoff show, and you will not miss a second of SummerSlam. Join us, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Twitter. Saturday for that, we will have SummerSlam instant analysis as soon as that show goes off the air Saturday night. On Sunday at 6.30 p.m., we will have the same NXT TakeOver pre-show for you. You will not miss a second of the kickoff show or the main card. All you need to do is join us at 6.30. It'll be a 30-minute show live on Twitter Spaces. And then Sunday, once NXT TakeOver 36 is off the air, we will have instant analysis of that as well. And of course, the following week on Tuesday, we will have our WWE show where we talk about everything that happened on SmackDown, not related to the pay-per-view and the Raw after SummerSlam. So we have a loaded rest of the week of shows for you. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can vote in the polls, so you can uh, follow our commentary live during every program that we just talked about, and so you can join us live for our Twitter Spaces show on Saturday and again on Sunday. Also, please do not forget. It's all about the five here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Please leave those five-star ratings. Drop some reviews on Apple Podcasts. Every single one of those counts, and it helps us promote the show and grow, which, of course, is ultimately the goal. So it's been a long show. That's your SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. It's in the books. Plenty of Getting Over audio for you over the rest of this week. For Vintage Christianini, 
This is the Silver King, Adam Silver King, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.